Good afternoon to you all. I greet you in the precious name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We um, proceed our journey in the book of Acts, and we got to chapter 23, from which we will read from verse 23. Unfortunately, last week I didn't have the opportunity to be here, but luckily everything is online, so I was able to watch the teaching from last week online. And uh, I hope you still remember what uh, happened in the previous passage, that... Uh, there was a great riot in Jerusalem when Paul was there and he entered the temple. He was uh, arrested by the Romans and he was taken captive in the barracks of the Roman garrison in Jerusalem. Now we read from verse 23 what happens next. Um, the he that's being spoken of here is the uh, Roman commander. Then he called for two of his centurions and ordered them, get ready a detachment of 200 soldiers 70 horsemen and 200 spearmen to go to Caesarea at nine tonight. It's not just by chance that they uh, choose to leave by night. Apparently that gives them more uh, safety. Provide horses for Paul so that he may be taken safely to Governor Felix. This governor had his seat in the city of Caesarea. So he wrote a letter as follows. Claudius Lysias to His Excellency Governor Felix Greetings. This man was seized by the Jews and they were about to kill him, but I came with my troops and I rescued him, for I had learned that he is a Roman citizen. I wanted to know why they were accusing him, so I brought him to their Sanhedrin. I found that the accusation had to do with questions about their law, but there was no charge against him that deserves death or imprisonment. When I was informed of a plot to be carried out against the man, I sent him to you at once. I also ordered his accusers to present to you their case against him. So the soldiers carrying out their orders took Paul with them during the night and brought him as far as Antipatris. The next day they let the cavalry go on with him while they returned to the barracks. And when the cavalry arrived in Caesarea, they delivered a letter to the governor and handed Paul over to him. The governor read the letter and asked what province he was from. Learning that he was from Cilicia, he said, I will hear your case when your accusers get here. And then he ordered that Paul be kept under guard in Herod's palace. Now the title I gave to today's teaching was In the Valley of the Shadow of Death. I mean, you can imagine that um, Paul must have felt like that when... Um, all this was happening to him after the riot broke out and other people decided over his destiny. It looked all very grim and gray, but there are encouragements in it also. We'll see about that. Now, just to, um, to have a starter, we uh, heard a few weeks ago that um, Pastor Gary resigned from his uh, being pastor in this church. Now, I wanted to start it with a story of a church that um, also put out, put out um, an advertisement that they were looking for a new pastor. A person uh, applied, and we will go over a few parts of his application. Just uh, look at the screen. The pastor wrote a letter to the church, and he said, I would like to apply for this job of a pastor, but I am a man of age. I'm far beyond 50. In fact, I'm closer to my... Retirement, then, well, just, just so that you know. 
I also need to mention to you that my, my health is, is not too well. I suffer from many physical ailments. So, so just that you know. Um, the other thing that you need, need to know about me, I've been preaching in, in many cities already, but uh, many cities I also had to leave because of riots that broke out because of my preaching. Just, just so that you know, okay? Mm, I need to tell you that I, I cannot get along very well with uh, local religious leaders, let alone with national religious leaders. I mean, they can't stand me. I, well, okay, we, we just don't get along with each other. Um, oh, and I shouldn't forget, I've seen prison from the inside several times in my life. Yeah, well, things happen. Oh, and yeah, I, I've baptized a few people also, but I, I tend to forget who those people were that I've baptized. And last but not least, the sermons that I do, sometimes they take well deep into the night. So, I would like to be your pastor. Here's my application. Just see what you want to do with this. Do you have any idea who this uh, applicant might be? That was Paul. Exactly. Yeah, you got it. <laughs> this was Paul. Now, one of the cities where this riot broke out because of his doing was Jerusalem. Just what we read in the previous passage. Actually, he, he couldn't help it that much. It, it just happened. I mean, people were after him and they, they caused a riot, actually. Um, Roman soldiers had to rescue Paul from being lynched by the mob in, in Jerusalem. So these Roman soldiers, they took him to their barracks. And as was custom in those days, when you want to interrogate a prisoner, you flog him. That's how they did things. So Paul was being stretched out in order to be flogged. And let me tell you, that was no joke. Many people who were flogged actually died during the process. But in those days, a human life wasn't worth that much. So they didn't care so much. While he was being stretched out, Paul said, uh, are you allowed to flog a Roman citizen without any trial? So they were, oh, is this a Roman citizen? Oh, this is not good. So they found out when he was a Roman that um, he had certain rights. So he was uh, taken back into the barracks. And at that time, they found out a conspiracy was uh, formed against him. 40, over 40 men had taken an oath not to eat or drink before they would have killed Paul. So this commander, who had already made a huge, huge mistake by binding Paul without any form of trial, he apparently was something like, oh, I need to make up something to this man. So he, um, he, chooses, he decides to take Paul over to Caesarea to, uh, to get Paul into safety. Now, as you are accustomed from me when I teach here, I brought a map, of course. Yes. So um, who would volunteer to help keep up the map? I see two young men over there with uh, long arms. Could you please come over and help me hold up the map? I mean, I could do it myself and hide behind the map and just point somewhere to where we are, but it's much easier if some people would help. So here we go. We roll it all the way up. This is a map of Israel in the time of Jesus. Can you all see it? Okay, Andrew, you're a clever guy. Can you tell me where Jerusalem is somewhere on this map? 
Galilee. Well, right that's right it. There. That's it. That's Jerusalem. So that's the place where it all happened, where this riot broke out, where Paul was taken into prison into the Roman barracks. So the commander, he decides to take Paul from Jerusalem to the place where the governor is seated. It was not in the capital, Jerusalem, but it was here at the coast, Caesarea, called after Caesar. So that was the Roman semi-capital of the country. That's the place from where the Romans ruled over the entire country. So they had to go from Jerusalem to Caesarea. Now you can see that this area in the middle of the country is on mountains. And here at the shore, there's more like a flat part. And here was a main road that actually led all the way down to, to Egypt also. So once they would have passed the mountains towards Caesarea, the most dangerous part of the trip would be over. I don't know if you noticed, but um, there was quite a huge uh, escort that Paul got to go to, uh, to Caesarea. Do you remember how many people the commander sent with him to get him there in safety? 470 in total. 200 soldiers, 200 spearmen, 70 horsemen, 470 soldiers to get one prisoner from Jerusalem to Caesarea. Now, it said by the time they came to Antipatris, which is about halfway. Can we keep it a little higher, guys? Yeah, that's... So when they got about halfway, we read that the soldiers went back to the barracks, back to Jerusalem, and the horsemen took Paul further to Caesarea. Because this is flat area. It's, it's quite a ride. There's a, there's a main road. It's not so dangerous. But this, this is the dangerous part, the mountains. Anything could happen to you there. So that's why they left at night, which gave them more safety. And that's why the commander, Lysias, sent such a huge escort with Paul to make sure that he would arrive there in safety. Because after all, he was a Roman citizen. Nevertheless, what I saw in this passage was God's care for Paul. God wanted to make sure that Paul would make it. And we'll get, to, we'll get back to that uh, in, in a few minutes. But when we, um, when we look at this trip that they made from Jerusalem to Caesarea, we see that this uh, commander, this Lysias, somehow wanted to make up for the mistake he first made with Paul by, by binding him. But um, he also does his best to, to guarantee safety to, uh, to Paul. That's why he, um, he took this entire uh, escort with him and sent Paul to, uh, to the governor, Felix. Do we all have the map in our heads? Okay, thank you guys for your help. Uh, you can just leave it there. We can roll it up later if you want. Don't worry. Thank you. So Paul was sent to Governor Felix. Who, uh, who was this Felix? Apart from the fact that he was governor. You know, governor is the same title that also uh, Pilate had at the time when uh, Jesus was crucified. So this is a... Uh, the, the person who was in, in control of the country of, uh, of Israel. Now, what we know from history, from other historians from that time about this governor, is that uh, Felix was a freedman, which means he used to be a slave, but he was set free by his owner, 
in this case that happened to be uh, the previous emperor, Emperor Claudius and his mother, they had given freedom to this, uh, to this Felix, and uh, together with his brother Pallas, who happened to have many friends in, in high circles in Rome, that also gave Felix the opportunity to, become, to get a position like this to become governor in the province of Palestine, in Israel. Now, this, this was a very uncommon thing, that a, a former slave would obtain a position like that, which actually was something like, like, like a king in one of the provinces of the, uh, of the Roman Empire. Very uncommon. Yet, because he had these relationships in, in the high circles, that's why Felix got to this, uh, to this position. Um, there was a very known uh, historian of those days. His name was Tacitus. And just look what he wrote about this, uh, this Felix. During his governorship in Judea, he indulged in all kinds of cruelty and lust, exercising regal power, behaving like a king, with the disposition of a slave. Now, that's something to think about. If a, if a worldly historian writes in this way about one of the rulers. He was um, married to a Jewish princess. We will read that uh, next week when we get to uh, chapter 24. The, na the name of this Jewish princess was um, uh, Drusilla. By the way, she was his second wife already. Um, and he, once he, he uh, saw this woman, she was married to the king of Amisa in, uh, in Syria. It was said about her that she was of astonishing beauty. I don't know, I've never seen her, but it was said that he was so impressed by her that he seduced her to leave her husband and get married to him. So that's how Drusilla became the, the, the wife of this, uh, this Felix. He was a very violent man. He was very anti-Semitic. Most Romans were actually. And any kind of um, rebellion against Roman power was immediately suppressed in, in the most violent way. He crucified enormous numbers of people. Many people died during his reign. In fact, um, after a few years, about two years of his reign over Palestine as a province, he was called back to Rome because there were so many complaints about him that he, well, he would almost face death in Rome because of his um, mis malfunction. Um, if he had not that many friends in high places who protected him. But after two years, he could be no longer uh, governor of Palestine. In fact, um, his rule caused so much rage and revolt among the Jews that he was, he was very soon replaced by, uh, by the emperor. This man, in short, was evil, corrupt, cruel, adulterous, Greedy, capricious, blood spilling, and totally incompetent as a ruler. Now, is there anything more negative that I can say about a governor? I don't know, but this, this was probably the worst governor that had ever been in Israel. His, the time of his governance could be typified as, uh, as, by great, great political tension and, in fact, anarchism in the whole country. That's also why it was so dangerous to make this trip from Jerusalem 
to, to Caesarea because there was anarchism. Gangs were going around everywhere. It was because of the, um, the total corruption in the leadership of the country, it just dripped down throughout the entire society and everything broke down. Justice was nowhere to be found. So that's, that's this Governor Felix. This is the man that Paul is being sent to to have his case being handled by. Can you imagine with what kind of feelings Paul made this trip from Jerusalem to Caesarea, knowing that he was going to face this type of man about whom everyone knew that he was cruel and greedy and corrupt, to whom the life of a man wasn't worth anything. That man was going to decide over Paul's fate. Whoa. That's, that, that's really difficult for Paul. I mean, he faced uh, the difficulty in Jerusalem already with the riot and the attempt for lynching and then the assassin attempt by 40 people. But this, that this governor could just decide about his life or death like this Lysias writes a letter to this uh, Felix. By the way, what I'm telling you right now about this Felix, you should keep it in mind for next week when we, uh, when we will read about the actual uh, uh, trial. Um, the Jews go over to Caesarea as well to make their case and they have hired a, a lawyer who is really trying to flatter Governor Felix. Oh, that you have been governor has been so good to our land, Israel. And we, we have so many benefits thanks to your... There were no benefits at all. There were total chaos in the country. Anyway, that's for next week. Um, Lysias, the Roman commander, he writes a letter to the governor and um, he um, explains what the case is with this um, um, prisoner with Paul. It's quite literal what we read from the letter that Lysias has, has written, right? Have you ever wondered, how did this letter get it, made it, make it into the Bible? Like, how, how did Luke know what Lysias wrote to Felix? I mean, it's personal correspondence. Would Luke perhaps have been there with Paul when he was taken to Caesarea? Or was the letter uh, read out loud when it was written? Perhaps this Lysias had used some scribe that came into contact with, uh, uh, with Luke. Or perhaps Luke later on asked it from Paul what was written in the letter. It's, I'm totally... Um, amazed that this letter is so literal in, in the Bible here right now. But what um, Lysias writes is actually quite interesting because he says, um, I saved this man from the mob that tried to kill him when I found out that he was a Roman. Let me ask you, was this true? No. It's a plain out lie. Well, perhaps there's some truth in it that he did save Paul from the mob, but not because he found out that he was a Roman citizen. He only found, out that, found that out later, right? And actually was to his own, uh, um, how do you call that? To his own shame, actually, that he found out later after he almost attempted to, uh, to flog Paul. Um, Lysias just wants to polish up his own image. I am the good guy. I did the right thing. So... Um, 
Now I send them on to you as a good soldier uh, doing my duty. So you, governor, you, you uh, decide over it now. In fact, this, you see the same um, type of corruption that we already saw with Felix also in this soldier, in this army man who is used to take orders and just to do as he has told. The Roman rule at that time, I mean, when we look, at, when we look back at history, uh, we many times think that, oh, the Roman Empire, it uh, brought civilization, it brought progress uh, in so many parts of the world. They made great roads, uh, trade was uh, being, uh, being stimulated, many, many parts of the world benefited from, from the rule of Rome. Well, when you look, look at it as a whole, the Roman system was a totally corrupt system to the core, which has brought much devastation and cruel activities to many parts of the world. <laughs> the Romans even sophisticated the way of how they could torture and kill people. That's, that's the Roman rule. And as I said, if the corruption is, is on top of the society, when the rulers are corrupt, it drips down through the entire society. What we see here at the time of this, this governor in Israel is there are great political tensions, senseless waste of human lives, and justice is nowhere to be found. In that situation, Paul was handed over to the whims of a, an evil ruler, to Felix. So up till now, what had happened to Paul? That's the next slide, by the way. Paul had been falsely accused that he had brought people in the temple, that he had desecrated the temple, that he had done all kinds of bad things, which were not true. Paul had been falsely arrested. When the mob was beating Paul, trying to kill him, the Romans quickly came in. And whom did they arrest? The one who was being beaten. Isn't that incredible? Thirdly, he was almost lynched by the crowd. After he had given his speech, his sermon, the people got so angry that they came up to the Roman soldiers to grab Paul and, and to kill him, and they had to carry him actually to get him into safety. Lynched by a, by a crowd almost. Then he was taken into the barracks by the Roman, and he was nearly flogged without any trial. As I said, this flogging was the cause of death of many people. This was a really serious thing. Then. He was almost assassinated. Over 40 people had made a vow to kill him and until they had done so would not eat or drink. Just imagine that. 45 people in your city out there to kill you. Just if, if that would be the case here now in Debrecen. I, I don't know if Jerusalem was at that time a similar kind of city like Debrecen, but if there were 45 people here in Debrecen that are out there after you to kill you, I wouldn't feel so secure anymore. Like, who, who, who could it be that's after my life? And now, Paul was on his way to be led before possibly the worst governor ever in the Roman Empire. What would you have done if you were in a situation like that, like Paul? Would you have cried out to God, God, I've been serving you my entire life. Is that what I, what I deserved? Or 
would you be trusting God that he would work out all for the good? I was very much touched by the song we just sang, When I Fight, I Will Fight on My Knees. Um, we, we should have had discussed something about the worship, uh, Amanda and I, uh, to, to make it in line with uh, the teaching. It was my fault that we didn't, but still, apparently the Holy Spirit worked it out in that way that it uh, came out together perfectly because it said, there is nothing that can stand against the power of our God. Because we, we read through this story, and as John said last week, uh, you, you could actually make a, a very exciting movie about all this, but let's not forget that behind the scenes, God is at work here. And God is in control. Even when Paul is on his way to this, to this evil governor. In, um, in Acts 21, we, uh, just a few chapters uh, before, we read that when, um, when Paul was still on his way to go to Jerusalem, they, um, they met a prophet. His name was uh, Agabus. And I'll just read out this, uh, this passage to you so that you get an idea what, um, what was the situation at that time, in case you might have forgot from a few weeks ago. Um, after we had been there a number of days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea, coming over to us. He took Paul's belt, tied his own hands and feet with it, and said, the Holy Spirit says, in this way the Jews of Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. So the Gentiles, they are, those are the Romans. When we heard this, we and the people there pleaded with Paul not to go up to Jerusalem. But Paul answered, Why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of our Lord Jesus. Just let that sink in. I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And when he would not be dissuaded, we gave up and said, the Lord's will be done. Now, that's always a good thing to say, because it's, it is happening, actually. But this, this is the attitude of Paul when he was facing all this injustice, as I, as I just uh, summed up, when he was on his way to this uh, evil evil governor Felix, I am willing not only to be bound, but even to die for the name of our Lord Jesus. Wow. That's an attitude. And on top of that, um, God even gave an assurance to him. God gave a promise to him. Uh, we can find that in this very chapter, chapter 23, um, in verse 11, it says, it was, by the way, after he had already been arrested and taken into the barracks. Verse 11. The following night, the Lord stood near Paul and said, Take courage. As you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. Okay. You know what this means? That God, God has a plan. God wants Paul to testify before the emperor in Rome about Jesus. And when God has a plan, God will fulfill his plan. So Paul knew for sure when he was on his way to, to uh, Governor Felix that he was going to make it to Rome because God had said so. So he had this great promise of God to hold on to. God was going to get him through this. No matter what this evil 
governor was going to decide on him, God was going to see that he would make it to Rome. Because that was what God had promised him. Paul knew and trusted the plan that God had for him. He, he didn't hold on even to his, to his very own life, but surrendered to God and served God, whether it would be in freedom, whether it would be in, in captivity. By the way, um, when we look at the total life of Paul, he's, he's been in prison several times, as I just said in the introduction. Um, he's been in, in prison here in Caesarea, it seems like for almost two years. He's been in Rome in prison for several years. Uh, apparently, he had, he had been in Ephesus also in prison. He indeed knew many prisons from, from the inside. And let's not forget uh, Philippi, where, um, where the doors broke open at night, you know. He knew many prisons from the inside. I think that's more than many of us can say, right? <laughs> he had been imprisoned, uh, but still God, God used those time in prison as fruitful times. Because during his time of imprisonment, Paul wrote many letters to, to the churches in Greece or, uh, or Asia that we now still have in our Bible. So we would say, prison, what, what can be good about that? Well, God can even turn that into good. When um, John and Gary have made a, a list of which, which part of Acts we are going to teach on which Sunday, and when I got uh, this part for this Sunday, I was like, man, this is just some itinerary. What, what can you teach? What's the message in that? <laughs> so I was a little disturbed about it, but when I, when I dove into it, I was like, wow. This is actually amazing to see how God works through it all. How he is showing his might and his mercy even through very dangerous circumstances. Now a few things I would like to, uh, to give to you from this passage is that first of all, you should realize that this world that we are living in is a broken world that's under the power of sin and a place where you should not Expect justice from worldly people. Just like Paul, when he was on his way to, to this governor, Felix, he knew that he wouldn't have to expect any justice from, from this man. Uh, just to give away one detail from next week, this guy was just keeping Paul in prison because he was expecting some, uh, some bribery. Now that tells you what, what kind of person he was. This world that we live in, that's under the rule of sin, will not provide any justice to you. The only one who is just is God. And his son, Jesus Christ, is on his way back to this world to bring his righteous judgment over all people. So don't expect judgments from, from down here. Judgment, uh, righteousness only comes from up there. Meanwhile, while we live in this broken world, a world under the power of sin, seek for opportunities to serve God. We just, we just heard um, from John, why, why, why is Jesus the hope of the world? Because he brings forgiveness. He brings new life. He brings restoration. He's the one that, that fills people with, with hope. Now, if you have discovered that in your life, and you see around you that this world is suffering in brokenness and hopelessness 
and injustice. And you are the light in the darkness. Seek for opportunities to serve God, to serve people. Even, even in difficult circumstances, like Paul here, being bound, being imprisoned, handed over to injustice rulers, even then, he, he even found a way to, to evangelize to this, to this bad Felix. Can you imagine? Whatever circumstances you're in, I really hope that you will not turn, turn out eventually in, in prison like Paul. But even if it happens, find opportunities, find ways to serve God. Just to give you an easy, easy example, um, a few weeks ago, I, uh, I had to go to Hotbun, and I decided to go by train instead of by car. It's a bit cheaper nowadays, so I took the train. But when we left Debrecen Station, we already had a 10-minute delay. I was like, oh. I had to, to take a, uh, the next train in, uh, in Solnok, and I had some 13 minutes for that. So I was like, okay, 10 minutes, that, that's okay. But as you can imagine, the train arrived at Solnok, and we even got more delays. So at the time that our train drove into the station, the other train already passed, went away, and I missed it. So I went up to, uh, to the lady at the, at the desk and I asked, when is the next train? Only in two hours. Oh. So there went my day. I, it was no use to travel on anymore. So I decided to, to go back. And um, I had some telephone conference with my coworkers there. And I called my wife and she said, well, perhaps God has a plan for you in this. Perhaps you need to talk to someone on the train and share the gospel. Well, unfortunately, it didn't happen that I talked to someone, but it, it did change my attitude. I was angry. This stupid mouth, you cannot even trust him and their, their schedule never worked. But when Prisca told me this, my perception changed. Hey, even in a situation like this, when I miss my train, when my day is wasted, God can work, and God can turn things for the good. So that's the second thing. Seek for, for opportunities to serve God no matter what circumstances. Third thing, hold on to God's promises. Remember this promise that God had given to Paul? Likewise, like you have given testimony about me in Jerusalem, so you will also do in Rome. That was a great encouragement for Paul that God would get him through. Not only through this trial before Felix, or the two years in prison after that, or even the dangerous voyage to Rome, where he was even shipwrecked, God would get him through, because he had promised he would make it to Rome. Now, perhaps you never had an angel of God standing beside your bed at night, like Paul had. But we do have this book, right? Which is full of the promises of God. And one of the promises that God has given most times in the Bible, is do not be afraid, for I am with you. And if God's with you, the creator of heaven and earth, who will be against you? When your life is safe in the hands of this mighty God, then there's no reason to fear. Hold on to the promises of God. You know what the opposite of fear is? Faith. Faith that God is good and that God does as He promises. Last thing, 
Paul had said to his companions that he was not only willing to be bound, but even to die for the name of Jesus. I don't know if you would be willing to repeat those words after Paul, if you would also be willing to lay down your life for the sake of Jesus, that Jesus has become uh, so central, so important in your life, that all other things just, just fade away. Well, I, I hope that you may, may grow to that kind of faith, that all other things that you have, that you are, that you have achieved, that you hold on to in this world, that they will grow dim, that they become of less importance just to hold on to that one thing, to that one person, Jesus Christ alone. Because he is the hope. He is the eternal joy. He is the life. And just to give you, some, you something to think about, what could it be in your life that is keeping you back? Keeping you back from total surrender to the Jesus Christ. What would keep you back from saying, I am willing to lay down everything, even my life, for the name of Jesus? Let this passage that we just read, which at first sight just seems some dull itinerary, let it encourage you to think about your own life. When you look at Paul and he gives up everything for Jesus, what would you do? Let's pray together. Dear Lord Jesus, we indeed celebrate you as the hope for this world and the hope for our personal life. We celebrate you as the, the great joy that never ends, that fills us over and over again. We celebrate you as the, the life eternal without end. Jesus, you are, you are everything to us. And we want to hold on to you, Lord Jesus. Everything else in this world will eventually disappear. All things that, that we hold dear, possessions, perhaps our career, our pride, or even our health, anything is going to fade away. But you will remain. So that's, Lord Jesus, why we look up to you and we hold on to you. And we want to say to you that you take the central place in our lives so that we might say after Paul, I'm not only willing to be bound for the name of Jesus, but even to lay down my life for him. Lord Jesus, we pray that our lives may be a sacrifice of glory for your mighty name. And we thank you that we can be together here in this church this afternoon to experience that. Not only to worship you with our songs, but with our entire lives. We so desperately need your Holy Spirit for that, Lord Jesus. So we ask you as, as we will go into Monday, tomorrow, and Tuesday, and Wednesday, and the rest of the week, that your, your Spirit would fill us and lead us and use us for your glory. Help us to seize the opportunities you give us to serve you and to serve the people around us. Lord Jesus, you are our hope. We look up to you and we bring, bring, bring glory to your name. Amen.